WFYI podcast brought to you by Bloomington, Indiana, an American college town offering food and drink, college sports, outdoor activities, live music, cool art, and good times daily. Everyone is welcome in Bloomington. More information at visitbloomington.com. The state Supreme Court rules on school vouchers. Is the legal battle over? The abortion battle. Will Indiana be the next North Dakota? Hunting preserves new voices in the farm video controversy, and an Indiana senator takes a stance on gun control. That, plus the winter that won't go away, and more on Indiana Week in Review for the week ending March Ice Miller, proud to support Indiana Week in Review. The path to a successful business has unexpected twists and turns. The legal professionals at Ice Miller are dedicated to guiding businesses along the journey. Experience takes businesses to the top. Ice Miller can help them stay there. Ice Miller, it's a complex world. Be advised. AT&T, connecting Hoosiers with the world for more than 130 years. Investing to build communication networks to help Indiana businesses and consumers succeed in a global economy. AT&T, rethink possible. This week, the state Supreme Court ruled the Indiana school voucher system is constitutional. The decision written by Chief Justice Brent Dixon was unanimous. Arguments were made before the Supreme Court in November of last year. The ruling says that private schools can receive indirect government benefits and that the direct beneficiaries of the voucher program are not the schools, but those eligible families who are free to select which schools to attend. State Representative Bob Boehning sponsored the bill that launched the voucher system. Here he is, followed by Glenda Ritz aide, John Barnes. I'm excited for the kids of the state of Indiana. I think we uh, believed all along this was constitutional. We thought we had done our homework, and this just validates. We're disappointed. We're especially disappointed with it being a unanimous decision. But our biggest concern all along has been that we don't think that taxpayer money should be used for schools that don't have to serve all students. Will this lead to an expansion of the voucher system? It's the first question for our Indiana Week in Review panel. Democrat John Zodi, Republican Mike McDaniel, Leslie Weidenbenner, editor at thestatehousefile.com, and John Ketzenberger, president of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. I'm Wish TV Statehouse reporter Jim Shella. John Zodi, will voucher opponent, opponents give up the legal battle at this point? Well, I think what's what's happened is that Senator Lannon and uh, Representative Pilath, there's, there's been a, a call for a study to, to look at the impact that the voucher system would have statewide, what the cost has been. I think when we're talking about expansion of education programs, uh, we look back at last year in 2012, the message and the choice was clear, and Hoosiers made a choice. I think we, that uh, people who are interested in expanding uh, the voucher program need to be very wary. You're, you're saying that the state school superintendent election was about vouchers? I think it was about it was, it was about education, and so S Superintendent Ritz has said that she'll administer the law as she was elected to do a job, and we'll see what happens. But I think the uh, I think we need to be wary of expansion. There's a bill in that would expand uh, at least slightly. It was scaled back this week. 
Um, does this ruling have any effect on what's going on in the legislature? No, I don't think so, other than they know that the system is legal and constitutional, and that was very clear with the 5-0 decision. By the way, Glenda Ritz was one of the people that brought this suit in the first place. She was part of that action. And because she's been elected, she was also a plaintiff. Yeah. Put yeah. her in a little ironic position But I think, I think the, uh, the decision uh, and the opinion written by Chief Justice Dixon where he said, look, the Constitution does not intend for religious institutions not to receive indirect government benefit, police and fire protection, water and sewer, those kinds of things, that this is an indirect benefit because the real beneficiary here is the education that the child gets at the end of the day not direct money to the religious institution was the right decision. We have about 500, and I think it's 530,000 students who are eligible to receive vouchers in Indiana. Only 9,000 of them at this point are taking, you know, part of that, of that they program. Fit, they, just to be clear, there are over 500,000 who fit the eligibility requirements, right. but the program is not made for that many. Exactly. Oh, it's only made for 15 is the cap Exactly. Now. But my point is, there are that many out there that this thing could right. eventually grow to, and I think you are going to see growth in this program, an expanded growth in this program in a hurry. All right. This was uh, an argument over the Indiana Constitution. Now, there is still the potential for uh, an argument under the U.S. Constitution on the separation uh, of church and state. Do you see somebody pursuing that? I think eventually, yeah, you will see something like that. But I honestly think the bigger argument here is going to be what John brought up, which is this argument of is there going to be any look at whether or not this program is helping students achieve more? And you actually saw that play out between Republicans this past week when Senator Kenley was pushing for um, some sort of look at, down the road at how the students are doing. And you heard Bob Boehning, who is the author, say that what that he did, wasn't concerned particularly about that. He st it should be parents' choice, no matter no matter how things turned out. So um, I think that is going to be one of the bigger arguments. Public schools are a big loser in this decision. Well, they're potentially the big loser. I mean, they are already losing what almost 10,000 students worth of of uh, tuition support from the states to private institutions. Uh, and I, I think that the court got it right in terms of uh, the separation, you know, how the school, the money goes to the student and the student can choose a school, but there still is that effect on the school funding formula, and I think that's where there needs to be some serious study as well, because the formula is based on a much different premise now than it was just a few years ago. You take that money out of the public system, and you may have a, vi a violation of the state's constitutional requirement to provide a free education to students. You, you may have, it may be fairly technical, but that could be a problem that comes up. John, is this, is this a, a partisan issue? I think it's, a, uh, I think it's, it's turned into a partisan issue, but I think, you know, Democrats are the party of, of, of education, have supported public education over the years. We've got a track record with the last three Democratic governors who have made great strides in education. So but I it, think to that degree. To, it used to be Democrats who pushed vouchers, right? Well, no, I think I think uh, we are we're, we're the party of public education. Is it a partisan issue? No, I don't think it is at all. In fact, I think you, when you see people like Bart Peterson that push, he was really a leader in charter schools uh, for here, and that's part of this whole debate also. Uh, I think uh, this is about giving people equal opportunity, and I will disagree with what's been said here about taking away from public education. I think what this does is make all education better because the public schools are going to be forced 
to do a better job than they're doing if they're going to survive and be competitive. But, but in the meantime, they get less money. And, and well, no, well, they, they, they the money the, the money follows, follows the student, student, right? And so, if there are less students there for them to take right. care of, then they don't have to spend those resources. But it becomes very unpredictable for a public school. And, that, and that's Leslie. They're going to have to do things differently than they've been doing. Absolutely. And that's I'm not make saying them that's. All a, I'm better. not making a judgment about whether that's. At good the end or of bad. the day, that but, makes them all better. But in the end, it is more difficult for a school to predict what their funding is going to be. I think that's exactly right. And I also think that um, you've got to be careful because. If you, if you go forward willy-nilly and you disrupt that entire system uh, and, and you don't track the performance, I think Senator Kenley is exactly right about that, then you, you just have a different system. You don't have a better system. The latest effort to restrict abortion in Indiana produced an emotional public hearing at the State House this week. A House committee voted to pass the bill on an 8-5 to five vote. The bill requires clinics that dispense abortion drugs to meet the same requirements as clinics that perform surgical abortions. Planned Parenthood said that it would likely mean that a clinic in Lafayette will close. Why would a clinic that does not do surgical abortions have to meet standards of a surgical facility? By making it harder to get a medication abortion, it will drive women to the internet. I want that patient to be able to be dealt with properly so that uh, the woman's health is safeguarded. That's Representative Sharon Nagel, who's the sponsor of the bill, preceded by Reba Wooden from the Center for Inquiry. Mike McDaniel, is Indiana headed the way of North Dakota, where the only abortion clinic is, is apparently going to close? No. Uh, I think that uh, Sharon Nagel uh, is sincere in what she says about the in her mind this is about patient safety and if there are any complications that you ought to be able to deal with any complications that exist and that's what she says that she's about with this bill and I believe her. Planned Parenthood thinks this is an incremental way to try to cut back on abortion. This is you know this, this is what happens this bill on its face seems to be about safety but where are we where are we really addressing women's health where are we really addressing safety and ostensibly, this is what happens when you've got a governor with no legislative agenda. We are talking about social issues that the people have called for, uh, you know, uh, this, is, this is divisive. Is this what we need to be talking about this year instead of the economy? Well, Minority Leader in the House, Scott Pilath, called for a moratorium on social issues. Uh, do you think, he, John, that he actually thought he would get that? No, I don't think he did, but I think he got out in front of that point, right? And so here we are three-quarters of the way through the session, and, and we remember that he said that when he said it. So I think that uh, I think John's right. I think Planned Parenthood has reason to be concerned. Uh, and, you know, this incremental movement uh, doesn't seem to be going in the direction that Planned Parenthood wants it to go. It's going in the other direction. Yeah, eight to five vote, though. There was one Republican, uh, uh, Sean Eberhardt, who voted against the bill. He, does this have a problem on the House floor? I don't think so. I think this will pass fairly easily. I'm not sure in the end whether there will be an agreement. The Senate didn't pass the bill this way. Um, so the, ha the Republicans, as we keep talking about... They've actually combined two Senate bills. That's here. right. And, but there, were, there are some differences. And um, as we have been talking about, I think, all year, I mean, this is about Republicans talking with Republicans. So it'll be interesting to see if they can agree. Moving on, the owners of five hunting preserves want state lawmakers to pass a law that would keep them in business. The Department of Natural Resources wants to close them. But since 2005, the preserves have been able to stay open due to a court injunction. At a committee hearing in the Indiana House this week, opponents of the hunting preserves argued that the deer hunted there are domesticated. They are in an enclosure that hampers their escape 
and ultimately leads to their demise. All of us are born hunters. That's why our, our preserves are so successful is because we hunt all over the world, not just in Indiana. Preserve owner Rodney Bruce there, uh, preceded by Herb Higgins of the Indiana Bow Hunters Association. John Ketzenberger, is that sport? No. That's a slaughterhouse without a roof. Is that a problem? We have slaughterhouses. Yeah, and they're regulated by the state, and they are there for the purpose of providing meat for people to eat. This is clear, clearly only, the only reason this exists is so people can get big, fat deer that have big, fat racks, and they can boast about them. The argument made in committee was that it's for people who are too busy to spend three days in the woods to accomplish that so that they can, they can pay some money and, and have uh, the hunting experience they're looking for. Well, those are the arguments. I mean, the truth is this, this debate has been going on now for years. The most frustrating thing, I think, for the people who support these and for the people who are opposed to it is the state can't make up its mind. And these are businesses, and whether we think they're good businesses or bad businesses, the state and lawmakers have continued to make this a difficult situation. Well, the, the owners of these preserves in the state have agreed that the legislature should decide this. Yes, and they've been punting around on it for several years now. Well, I mean, although you could argue that they never pa they didn't pass a law authorizing right. them, and so in that way they're saying, no, we, we're leaving current law as it is. But, I mean, this is just a lot of people who are refusing to let an issue go away. Um, somebody needs to make a clear-cut decision, whether it's a judge or the legislature or the DNR, about what's going to be done here. I, don't, I just don't think it's fair to any, any of the sides. So is the legislature the place to decide this? Well, they have to. They have to make a decision on this. But I, I, every time this debate takes place, I can't help but think about Theodore Roosevelt and the, uh, when they took a hunting trip to Mississippi and they couldn't find a bear that, in the wild for the president to shoot, so they paraded a bear cub on a, basically on a leash out in front of him, and the president refused to shoot that, that uh, bear, which was the result was a teddy bear. That's how we got the teddy bear. It's a, something that people care about all over the world even yet today because they refused to shoot it. You know, this is not sport. You know, if I had my way, we'd arm the deer and make it a fair fight. <laughs> You're saying it's it's animal cruelty. I don't I don't think it's animal cruelty, but it's just not right to. to you saw the footage. I mean, they're yeah. feeding from a trough. How wild are they? I mean, they're going to walk around thinking it's okay to be around humans, well, and they're walking the up to a guy either. with a gun okay. and, and they're shooting him. The other argument is that it's economic development, that the, the people who own these things have invested hundreds of thousands of dollars and they should be entitled to, to earn the reward of that. Well, I think, you know, the, the uh, preserves are businesses. I know that there, there are deer farmers who, who believe, you know, they they've, uh, are making their living on, on uh, raising deer and, and selling them to According these preserves. According to the testimony, there are 200 deer farmers in 400, Indiana. 400. 400. So I think, you know, if, if that argument is to be made, you've still got experts who are at odds with each other. You've got the Deer Hunters Association who don't like this. You've got the DNR who are, who are supposed to be experts at, at managing well, our wildlife. we're not sure where they are anymore. Well, and the, the governor's DNR, been saying he's sure keeping an open are. mind about it, so I think there is some, some uh, lack of clarity about where we are. On Should that. the legislature decide? I believe so. You, moving on. Time now for viewer feedback. Each week we pose an unscientific online poll question in conjunction with our Ice Miller email and text alerts. This week's question, should hunting preserves be permitted in Indiana? Your choices are A, no, it's animal cruelty, 
B, yes, it's economic development, or C, hunting should be banned altogether. Last week's question was, should undercover farming videos be illegal? 51% said yes, agriculture needs to be protected. 45% said no, the First Amendment is more important. 4% said just exempt the media. If you'd like to take part in the poll, go to WFYI.org slash IWIR and look for the poll. The bill designed to prevent undercover videos of farming operations cleared a hurdle in the General Assembly this week on a 9-3 vote. But within hours, House Speaker Brian Bosma was speaking out against it. So is big-time Republican strategist Mary Madeline, who appears in this video created by People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA. They see the bill as an effort to hide cruelty to animals in factory farming operations, and Madeline encourages lawmakers to vote against it. Bosma just may. It perhaps isn't in its final form uh, acceptable to me personally uh, as, uh, as just one member here of the House. We do have a constitutional lawyer taking a look at the at, uh, at the result of the committee today. For example, my friends said Peter went undercover at sprawling turkey warehouses in West Virginia and found workers beating and stomping on birds. But the supervisor was indifferent. The illegal cruelty continued even after it was reported to company officials. That's Mary Madeline, Leslie Weidenbenner. Will lawmakers listen to her or for that matter, Bob Barker, who's uh, also weighed in here? Uh, you know, I, I think that lawmakers have, um, are concerned about keep making this bill constitutional. I think it is hard to make it constitutional um, and still achieve the goals of the original authors. I actually don't think this bill will pass, but it's a little too soon to say. They made it tougher this week, right? It, it was an infraction. They made it a misdemeanor. But they did make it. Um, but they did take out the part where sharing the video is um, would be a crime which is an important distinction. But it still requires that if you think there's been a crime committed, you have to report it to law enforcement within a 48-hour period, right? And so, you know, they see this as the, as the out, if you will, that helps make it constitutional. But uh, I think that that's kind of a flimsy bit of logic in, in the end. Um, I think Leslie's right. I said last week I thought it was a long way to go, uh, but it still is too early. You just never know. There's a lot that can happen between now and then. And uh, let me say, the legislature's passed unconstitutional bills before. Well, yeah, sure. It's not their job to figure out that's if right. it's constitutional That's right. It's up to the courts. Not. That's up to if somebody it gets else. There, right. 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 Um, does the public care about this? I think so. I think you know, with the the uh, size of the agricultural community, agricultural community in Indiana, the economy with ag producers, I think I think it is an issue. Um, and it's because it's pending. This uh, I think I read where a legislator gotten more calls on this than anything during this session. So I think the public cares about it very much. But most of the agricultural organizations are in favor of this. Do you think the public uh, supports a bill to ban undercover videos? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. But there's still a lot of still a lot to go. At the beginning of the session, who would have thought that this would be the issue that would would create outside interest? I don't think anybody did, but I I, I agree that I think it's wrong to have undercover videos on private property. I think Leslie's right. The difficulty in this is going to be trying to come up with something that's constitutional. You know, I, I think creating Mary Madeline in here uh, as part of this debate. <laughs> You know, I mean, what's her judgment tell you? She's married to James Carville, so well, she said. No she said James that. agrees with her on this. Well, then, then I am definitely for the bill. <laughs> <laughs> Anti Mary Madeline.
No, anti-James Garville. (laughs) (laughs) Got to make up your mind somehow. All right. Moving on. The mayors against illegal guns have changed the TV ads they're running here in Indiana. It's because Senator Joe Donnelly came out in support of background checks this week during a visit to Fort Wayne. The ads now mention only Senator Dan Coates. They feature a gun owner who says he uses guns to hunt and protect his family. He says he supports the Second Amendment but wants comprehensive background checks. So criminals and the dangerously mentally ill can't buy guns. That protects my rights and my family. Tell Senator Coates, don't protect criminals. A spokeswoman for Senator Coates says that the senator will carefully review the details of final legislation. He also believes that more should be done to enforce existing laws on background checks. Mike McDaniel, how effective are those ads? Uh, I don't think they have much effect on a senator like Dan Coates. I mean, he's going to decide this based on whatever that final piece of legislation looks like. Uh, Dan's been a guy that's been a pretty stand-up guy on every issue uh, for a long time. He's changed his mind on on the uh, on assault, assault weapons. weapons. He voted uh, for the assault weapon ban when he, he was first in the Senate. And that was how long ago? 94, 96. Six, somewhere in there. So, you know, I, I just don't think these commercials are going to have that big of an effect on whether he votes one way or the other. I think a look at the final bill, and that was the right answer to give. These come from the mayors against illegal guns. There, there are several Indiana mayors involved, uh, Dennis Tyler, uh, Karen Freeman Wilson, uh, Tom Henry in, in Fort Wayne. Um, but it's Mayor Bloomberg's group. They're also doing local organizing. They're passing petitions and, and, and trying to get some, some grassroots things going. Um, for a battle in Washington, is, is that stuff effective? I think uh, grassroots organizing has proven itself effective, yes, absolutely. And will they accomplish anything? Uh, I think that remains to be seen. This is a, this is a hot debate, a hot issue, and uh, you know, I think it's evolving. Why did Senator Donnelly come out in favor of background checks this week? Well, I think he's, he said he's, he's in favor of a compromise on background checks if it can, if it can keep guns uh, out of the hands of uh, criminals and those with mental illness and, and protects you know, the Second Amendment rights. So I think he's, he's seen the discussion on this and, uh, and has chosen that position. Was he trying to, to hold off some of the, the, the public pressure? No, I, I don't think he, he uh, no. Okay. Um, by the way, we should mention John Zodi, for those of you who may not be aware, is the new state Democratic chairman and his first appearance here. And just want to say welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, <laughs> this whole gun control thing, um, there's going to be a vote next month. It's not looking good for the president and those who want new gun control measures. Yeah, it's interesting to see how much sentiment in Congress has changed from the time when the Newtown shooting occurred to now. And it's hard to imagine that right after the Newtown uh, tragedy, there was talk about a much more comprehensive piece of legislation. And now you're talking about essentially bolstering the background checks that are already on the books. And so um, I think that if the people who are for uh, tighter gun control want to be effective, the television ads are only going to go so far. I think that they do need to show that there's a grassroots movement. And if they can, then they may be able to make more progress. But if they can't, then... You know, the, the polls are wrong. I just think that progress won't be made in Indiana. I, I do think there are places in the nation, and there are lots of people who think that stronger background checks, more complete background checks are a good idea. Um, polls have shown that people um, can support that, even people who are um, support gun rights. But I don't think you're going to find that in Indiana. And I think a lot of folks in Indiana are so strong on gun rights that they don't want to see anything 
that they might consider an erosion. And that's become something of a partisan issue in this state, hasn't it? You mean you see you see Democrats pushing for gun control and Republicans sticking to Second Amendment rights? I don't rights, think right? it is. It's I, not. I, 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 no. And in fact, I think one of the reasons that Mayor Bloomberg is saying we're going to give up on assault weapons, uh, the ban, is because they know they don't have enough Democrat votes in the United States Senate. This is not an R&D. Well, which is why the gun I mean, rights even vote. on the background check, Senator Donnelly's position change is thought to be significant because they're going to need just about every Democratic vote. Exactly, and they don't have what they need, and they know that in the United States Senate right now. That's why I don't think it's R&D. I think it's all about gun rights. I think it's about gun rights, but it, 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 to break that just a little bit further, I don't think it's R&D. I think it's ur urban and rural. And, Which uh, sometimes <laughs> breaks down into somewhat R&D. It, it can. But, but not completely. And, and if you know the way Congress is, is established and the way districts are established, uh, the rural communities still have a lot of clout uh, in Congress. And so uh, I think that's where the break occurs, not necessarily on a partisan basis. Finally, Indiana experienced a spring snowstorm this week with nine inches of snow falling here in central Indiana. And here's video of a huge chunk of ice falling off an SUV and into the windshield of a Wayne Township fire truck. It was caught on video by the fire truck's dash cam. The firefighter driving the truck was knocked unconscious. He also had cuts to his face. Investigators say the other driver didn't stop. John Zodi, are you tired of winter? I don't think I'll be hiring Puxatawney Phil as a pollster to predict anything anytime soon. I think he's uh, feeling pretty angry at Phil right now. Um, but uh, I, uh, I think spring is sprung. I'm glad the driver's okay, the, the truck. Yeah. Um, global warming, should we? Yeah, what happened to global warming? What happened to Where'd global it go? warming? You know, we need it back. It'll be back next year, okay. right? Okay, all right. If next time we get a Super Bowl. <laughs> That's Indiana Week in Review for this week. Our panel is Democrat John Zodi, Republican Mike McDaniel, Leslie Weidenbenner of the StatehouseFile.com, and John Ketzenberger of the Indiana Fiscal Policy Institute. If you'd like a podcast of this program, you can find it at WFYI.org slash podcast or starting Monday. You can stream it or get it on demand from Xfinity or Bright House Networks. I'm Jim Shella of Wish TV. We'll see you again next week. Ice Miller, proud to support Indiana Week in Review. Things can go wrong in a thousand different ways. Businesses need a law firm that knows the thousand and first. The team of legal professionals at Ice Miller is committed to helping put the pieces back together. Ice Miller, it's a complex world. Be advised. AT&T, connecting Hoosiers with the world for more than 130 years. Investing to build communication networks to help Indiana businesses and consumers succeed in a global economy. AT&T, rethink possible.